0: Well, thank you to our worship team this morning for leading us in worship again, appreciate all of those that are involved week after week in helping us to uh, be able to offer uh, some semblance of a normal service. I know many churches are trying to find a balance between how to how to communicate the singing and the message and all of that and I just so appreciate all of those that have been involved in Uh, being flexible through this time to uh, make this as as close to a normal feel of a service as possible. And for those of you that consistently join us week after week, we're so thankful that you are able to watch. We're so thankful that you're able to be a part of a virtual church. And uh, again, we've said this every week, but we are looking forward each week more and more uh, to when we can be back together to worship together and to be together. And in the meantime, obviously, it, uh, it lends itself to our ultimate longing desire to be gathered together in heaven with Christ, uh, worshiping around the throne of Christ for all of eternity with believers of every tribe, tongue, and nation. But in the meantime, uh, we trust and we pray that God will work in such a way uh, that uh, we are able to meet again here in this building. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at dealing with the government in a fallen world. And I want to concede at the outset of this message that I'm as much speaking to myself as I am to any of you. Um, I've made it often, made it very clear that I am uh, not really into politics i don 't really enjoy engaging in political discussions uh, to me they 're they 're generally pointless. but I know that there are plenty of passionate people uh, when it comes to politics and then when it comes to government and when it comes to uh, how things are run and how things are governed and so Uh, I don't want you to think that somehow I'm the utopia and the perfect example of always responding well, always dealing well with the government in a fallen world, but we want to look at the objective truth of Scripture this morning to allow ourselves to be challenged and yet allow ourselves to understand what is our responsibility, what is our privilege, what is our right, uh, what abilities do we have. And so within that context, we're going to look at First Peter chapter 2, specifically looking at verses 13 to 17. And as Cam read earlier with the background of Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, and then also the passage um, out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we house those two passages into this text of scripture here from 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses thirteen through seventeen. Paul, rather Peter, writing. Uh, let's actually begin in verse eleven, just to catch a little bit of context into verse thirteen. Uh, verse eleven of 1 Peter chapter two. Peter begins this way: "Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable." Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin this morning. Father, we are thankful to you for all that you have done for us. And Father, this morning we are thankful for the opportunity that we do still have to communicate the truth of your word. And Father, although we're not able to assemble together, although we're not able to be together as we would like and we would desire, we are thankful that we still have this means of being able to worship, to be able to uh, hear the word of God preached. So Father, this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truths of your word. Help us, Father, to understand what you have for us and how you want us to live. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. It was announced that an evangelist had to cancel three weeks of nightly meetings due to the pandemic. It was announced that churches across America have had to close due to the sickness for up to an entire month, if not more. Say, this must be the coronavirus update. It's actually not. It's the Spanish flu of 1918 which claimed the lives of 50 million people, including 675,000 people in the United States. Churches are being quarantined, schools are shut down, public gatherings are banned. You say, well, this must be the coronavirus. It's actually not. It's the cholera outbreak of 1854, which killed 23,000 people in Great Britain alone. Churches are closed, school is canceled, ships are quarantined upon arrival into port. You say this must be coronavirus. It actually isn't. It's the great plague of England in 1665 to 1666, which claimed the lives of 100,000 in London alone, which was 25% of the population. You see, when we are engaging in a situation like coronavirus, and we're engaging in a situation which for Most of us, 99% of us, is something that we've never endured, we've never gone through, we've never seen these types of reactions before. It's easy for us to think, well, we are the first people to encounter this situation. We're the first people in the history of the world to ever have churches shut down, to have schools closed, to have social distancing put into place, and to have all these other requirements and all these other laws of the government imposed upon us. It's easy for us to think, We are alone, and this is the first time this has ever happened. When in reality, it seems like every century in human history brings with it an epidemic, a pandemic, that society as a whole has to deal with. So whether it's the Spanish flu of the 1918s, or whether it's the cholera outbreak of the 1800s, or whether it's the Great Plague of the 1600s, wherever we are in history... We are not alone. We have had others that have gone before us who have dealt with this. But interestingly enough, to note, as you study the history of each one of these specific pandemics, the Great Plague in the 1600s, the cholera outbreak in the 1800s, the Spanish flu in the early 1900s, or coronavirus in 2020, each one of them has pitted the church against the government. They've pitted pastors and other uh, gospel preaching people in contention with those that are in government, and the coronavirus is no different. It has heightened our awareness or heightened our angst, if you will, about laws or rules imposed upon those of us who are attending church, those of us who are trying to worship together in church. And it's very easy for us to feel like, well, we are being persecuted and and we are having laws implemented or, or mandated upon us that no one has ever had to experience. And the reality is churches and pastors and other Christians have been dealing with this for centuries. It's just that none of us were alive when those things happened. And for us, it brings to the forefront of our attention how we engage with our government. Now, as we begin this message and we begin to look at this particular text of Scripture, we look at this and say, well, how does God want us to respond? The challenge that we have in the United States of America is that each one of our states is governed by a different person. We, of course, have the federal government, which generally oversees the entire country. But we believe strongly in states' rights. We believe strongly in, in the local concept of government. And so what does that mean? That means if you're in Michigan, you may be experiencing things that people in Florida are not experiencing, or you may be experiencing things that people in Nebraska are not experiencing. So there is a uniqueness to our condition. There is a uniqueness to our state, but there is not a uniqueness to how we engage within the confines or within the context of the government. And Peter, remember, we looked at last week when we dealt with dealing with trials in a fallen world, Peter is addressing his book to those, as he says in chapter one, verse one, to the elect exiles who are scattered. And remember, why are they scattered? Well, they're scattered because Nero is the emperor and Nero is persecuting Christians. The, the fire that ravaged through Rome in the 60s, early 60 AD timeframe was blamed on the Christians. It was a convenient group of people to blame, and, and so Nero began the persecution of Christians as a result, and just as we looked at last week, There were points in time in which Nero was taking believers, he was dipping them literally into tar. He was setting them up on poles all around the arena that he wanted to race his chariots in, and he was lighting them on fire so that he could do these chariot races in the evening time. This is the context in which Peter is writing. This is the context, and this is the situation that these people are enduring, that Peter is writing to them to say, listen, how should you respond to your government? How should you respond to somebody like Nero, dipping people in tar, hanging them on a pole, lighting them on fire? What should you do to those people? These past three months have elicited different passions, different emotions, different responses from all of us. Regarding our government, some that hate Donald Trump to those that love Donald Trump, some that love Gretchen Whitmer to those who despise Gretchen Whitmer, or whatever state you may be watching and your particular governor. And these situations like coronavirus and the situations like the social distancing and all the laws and all the things that have been put on us elicit responses from us. Some of them are justified. Some of them are legitimate. Some of them are biblical, but some are not. And so as believers, as we engage in a fallen world, as we live and we exist and we submit to the authorities that God has placed into our lives, how are we to respond? And Peter gives us three simple thoughts this morning as we look at verses 13 through 17. Three simple things that he wants us to remember Again, the context of 1 Peter is vitally important. These are, this book is written to those who have become refugees who have had to flee out of Rome because of the persecution that was coming because Nero was killing them. That I'm aware of, no government in the United States is currently killing people for being a Christian. So the context is important. Because it's easy for us in 2020 to think we are facing horrible persecution, when the reality is what these people were facing was actually persecution for being Christians, for following Christ, for living for God. I believe at some point in America, and probably sooner rather than later, we will actually get to this point. I believe there is coming a day in the not-too-distant future where Christians will be persecuted for being believers, for following Christ, for not complying with the governmental laws that strictly forbid their worship of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But at this point, that hasn't existed. But since this is going out to anywhere around the world that has Internet access, we have to acknowledge that there may be someone who is actually watching this, who is actually fearful of their life because of the government restrictions placed upon them and because of the limitations of their ability to worship. And so for you, this has vital importance as well. So what does Peter want us to be aware of? What does Peter want us to be reminded of? He says in verse 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Sometimes we wonder what God's will is. You know, I often wish that maybe God would be a little bit more clear in his will. I wish that God would maybe, you know, I don't know, peek his head out of the clouds and say, hey, Dave, just because you're not really that smart, here's actually what I want you to do. Maybe God could write that somehow in, a, in the clouds and say, hey, Dietz, this is what I actually want you to do. That would make it easy for me, for somebody like me who's maybe sometimes wonders, is this what God wants? Is this what God wants? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13, 14, and 15, Peter actually communicates to us via divine inspiration, what does God want you to do? In a world of chaos in a world of uncertainty in a world that is challenged to think about how do we react to the government amidst COVID-19, Peter says, listen, I'm going to make it really easy for you. This is what God wants you to do. And what does God want us to do? Because that should pique our attention. That should cause us to kind of pay attention a little bit more. What does God want us to do? And Peter reminds us in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The word subject or really submit Submission has the idea of obedience. However, it is not unquestioning obedience. What we're going to present this morning as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2 is definitely a conservative approach to government. It's, a, it's an approach that says we are going to default to submit to our government, but not in a point where we say we'll never question anything and we just blindly go through things because that's not what Peter is communicating in this context. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The word subject means to submit. Be submissive to every human institution, to obey, but not to obey in such a way that we never question or not to obey in such a way that we never speak up for ourselves. God has not called us to be the doormat of the world, but we are to submit to every human institution institution. It's interesting that Peter makes note here that we are to submit for whose sake? The Lord's sake. In other words, it's not about the politician. It's not about the government itself. It's it's not about the human institution that has been instituted and implemented to govern us. There's a sense in which Peter says, we're not really interested in them. They're not the primary character here. God is. So for the Lord's sake, on behalf of our, as Michael alluded to earlier, on behalf of our submission to God, on behalf of our obedience to God, on behalf of our willingness to follow God, we are now submitting ourselves to the human institutions. That's why we had Cam read Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7, which punches us in the face when it comes to how do we respond to government. Because it makes us, it forces us to comply within the human institutions that are ordained by God upon this earth. Do we like government? Not always. Bring up any politician's name in a room full of people and you're going to have passionate responses on either side. Government elicits passion. It elicits love. It elicits hatred. It elicits disgust. It elicits pleasure. It elicits joy. And yet here Peter says this, first of all, be submissive to every human institution. You say, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we do this? I want to remind us of Acts chapter 5. Verses twenty-seven through thirty-two, it says this. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. This is Peter. So remember, Peter is the one writing this in First Peter chapter two. He's also the one that was involved in this situation in Acts chapter five. He's being accused of preaching Christ's name. He's being accused of preaching the gospel, which he was forbidden to do. And what does Peter respond in Acts chapter 5, verse 29? But Peter and the apostles answered, "'We must obey God rather than men. "'The God of our fathers raised Jesus, "'whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. "'God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior "'to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, "'and we are witnesses to these things.'" And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So in this context, as we set this context for us, as at the outset of this message, and Peter is telling us be subjective to every human institution, be submissive to every human institution, he's using that word be subject in terms of be obedient, but not unquestioning obedience. And he's communicating to us that there may be times in which it is not proper for us to obey government. In Acts chapter 5, with the illustration of Peter being involved in the accusations by the council of preaching Christ, Peter communicates to them and communicates to us that it is better to obey God than it is man. The point at which a government requires that we stop proclaiming Christ, we stop preaching Christ, we stop communicating the gospel, Peter would remind us, listen, that's not their right. That is not their area of expertise that they can get involved in. The Lord of this universe has given us that right. He has given us that ability, and to that end, we will preach the gospel, come persecution or not. But Peter says, in that context, this is what you need to do. Be subject to every human institution. What does this mean for us? The default response Of every believer to government officials is to submit. The default response of every human believer, every believer, the default should be to submit to government officials. Now that causes angst in my heart. Why? Because I don't like to submit to any authority. If I'm honest, if I'm truthful in who I am as a human being, I do not like people telling me what to do. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if it's President Trump, Governor Whitmer, or my wife. Doesn't matter. I don't like people telling me what to do. And my guess is you feel the same way. And yet here is Peter saying this be subject to who every human institution. Be subject, be submissive, not unquestioning, but be submissive to every human institution. In other words, Peter is reminding us that my default as a believer is to submit. My first reaction should be, I am going to work at submitting to these government officials. Do I want to? No, I don't want to. I don't like submitting when they say I can only go 55 when I feel like going 65 but I am to submit. I don't feel like submitting when they say certain things about certain situations, but God has ordained them and God has established them. And Peter says, for the Lord's sake, believers, you are to submit. Well, who are we to submit to? Well, Peter answers that question. First of all, this includes the emperor. He says, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, whether it's Nero in this case, If it's Nero making a law, if it's Nero commanding you to do something, then you are to submit to him. You mean mean the guy that's dipping believers in tar, setting them up on poles and lighting them on fire, we're supposed to submit to that guy? Peter says, yes, that's actually the guy I'm talking about. I mean, Nero is like the elephant in the room in the book of 1 Peter. Nero is the guy everyone's aware of, everyone knows about, everyone's afraid of, everyone's running from, everyone despises, and Peter into that conversation says, submit, even to the emperor, even to Nero, submit. Yeah, but he is a horribly wicked person. He's a person that's killing believers. He's a person that's doing bad things to Christians. Certainly that should give us an exemption to no longer submit. Peter says that actually doesn't give you an exemption to no longer submit. Preach the gospel, be faithful to proclaim Christ, flee Rome if you must, but submit to the laws of those that are over you, even the emperor who is killing you. Submit to them. How challenging is that for us as believers to think about this in terms of <coughs> submitting to someone like Nero? But then he says it's not just the emperor as supreme, verse 14, or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, in context, in 60 AD, under the Roman Empire, there was a little bit different means in which they handled their government affairs. And there was a sense in which they would elevate certain people who did well, and they would, they would try to keep down those that did not do well. We don't see as much of that kind of stuff necessarily in our day and age in which we live, although we do see corruption and we do see other things that take place within government politics and within behavior of political leaders. But Peter says, regardless, if it's the emperor himself, if it's Nero. You submit to him. If it's one of his governors that he has sent out to, to rule over a particular region, a particular area, you are to submit to them. So, regardless of if it's the emperor, the highest authority, or whether it's the governor on the local state level, for us in our context, Peter says you submit to them. You follow what they have told you to do. That's really hard. Because as Christians, we try to justify a lot of things. We try to justify why we shouldn't have to submit to them. It's better to obey God rather than men, we like to quote. But that passage is taken out of context in many ways by many Christians, giving the claim, and rightly so by unsaved people, that Christians are ignorant fools. Because we quote things like, it's better to obey God than to obey men. Remember, the context of Acts chapter 5 was in the context of preaching Christ. And Peter's making the point in Acts chapter five that when it comes to preaching Christ, I will not submit to a government leader who's telling me not to preach Christ because God himself has declared that that's what I should do. But in all the other areas that don't involve the limitation of the proclamation of Jesus Christ, then I will submit and I will do as God tells us to do. As Cam read earlier, Romans chapter 13, verses one through seven, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Take Romans 13:1 and meditate on that for a second. Do you hate Governor Whitmer? Do you at the same time realize that she was set in place by God? Again, I have to say that I'm speaking to myself. Do you hate Donald Trump? Do you recognize again that he has been placed there specifically by God to perform a task that God desires him to perform in some level that we don't know and we can't always comprehend? So as we think about government leaders and we think about our reaction to them and we think about how they they do things that we don't like, Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 13, verse one, wait a second, they were instituted by God. As Proverbs reminds us, the heart of the king is in the Lord's hands, and he turns it wherever he wants to. You mean God can use unsaved, nasty, corrupt people to accomplish God's will? Yeah, ultimately he does. And government leaders are not elected by people, although that's the process. Government leaders are established and set up and ordained by God. Specific people ordained by God. For right now, God has ordained that Governor Gretchen Whitmer be the governor of Michigan. Right now, God has ordained and declared that President Donald Trump be the president of the United States. Whatever context you're dealing with, if you're watching this from outside the U.S. or you're watching this from a different state, God has ordained that your leadership be the leadership that you have right now, just like he ordained Nero be the emperor in Rome to persecute Christians. And so God reminds us through Paul in Romans 13, 1 through 7. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Peter says, be subject to every institution. This includes the emperor, this includes the governor, and he says, this shuts up the ignorance of foolish people. Verse 15, for this is the will of God. What does God want you to do right now, April 26th? 2020, what does God want you to do right now? God wants you to submit to your earthly government leaders. This is the will of God. That by doing so, you should do what? You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In other words, Peter says, there are people out there who are watching you. Christians on Facebook, There are people who are unbelievers who are watching you. They're watching how you respond. Oh, you say you love God. Oh, you say you you are submissive to God. Oh, you say you want to live as an example of God. How do you respond to government leaders? How do you respond to people put into place by God to govern on whatever means he has allowed them to govern? Peter says, by our response, by our submission to every human institution, what do we do? That includes the emperor on the national level, that includes the governors on a local state level, but that shuts up the ignorance of foolish people. These aren't just people that don't have any knowledge. These are people who are willfully rejecting the truth of God. These are people who have animosity against the things of God. These are people that hate Christians, and they're watching you. Believers, they're watching us. How do we respond to government leaders? Peter says our default, our default is to submit. Our default is to be subject to them. He says you can put to silence those that would have issue. Second of all, not only do we submit, we're to be subject to every human institution Peter says we are to live as people who are free. Think about the irony. Peter is writing to those exiles who've been scattered, who are now refugees from Rome, who are now all dispersed all throughout the region. And he says, first of all, be subject to every human institution. But look at verse 16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as God's servants. Or as servants of God. Peter reminds us of this. We are to live as people who are free. Galatians reminds us of this, right? We're free from the law. Then Paul goes on: don't use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, but in love, serve one another. Peter is reminding us here that we are to live as those who are free. In other words, he's saying, You are free. You're free to do what God has called you to do. You're free from the law. You're free to serve and to minister and to love. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity, though, as a cover up, as a guise for saying, hey, no government leader can tell me what to do. Right? There are irrational quote unquote Christians, whether they are or not, who knows. There are irrational, quote-unquote, Christians who make a living, almost, so to speak, by defying every government law, every government standard, every government interaction that they have, to defy it, to say, I am not under you, I am under God and his authority. Well, they obviously are clueless to Romans chapter 13. They're obviously clueless to 1 Peter chapter 2. They're obviously clueless to other texts of Scripture where God repeatedly states, as a believer, you are to submit yourself to the governing rulers and authorities that God has placed over you. And don't use this excuse of, I am a Christian, therefore I am exempt from obeying the government authority God has placed over me. Peter says, don't use your freedom as a means to do what you want, as a, as a disguise to do whatever you want. Live as people who are free, verse 16, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. What's the context of the evil? The context of the evil in this case is not submitting to those who are in authority over us. In other words, Christians live in such a way that you model Christ-likeness in your relationship with the government. You live as a servant of God. God desires that we live and that we obey and we function in a relationship with our government leaders in such a way that brings honor and glory to him. And then in case you missed it, in case you weren't clear from what Peter is trying to communicate in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 17, he reminds us again. Remember in verses 13 14 and 15 he said this is the will of God. What is God's will? Submit, be in subjection to the authorities that are over you. That's God's will. That's God's desire. Don't use your freedom as a disguise, as a cover-up, to do whatever you want. Live as a true believer should live in response to the authorities over them. And then in case you weren't clear on what God expected of you, Peter reminds us again here in verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You say, man, this sounds like a message that would say we as Christians should just become some kind of pacifist who just is like, Eeyore, thanks for noticing me. I won't say a word. I'll just shut up and do whatever I'm told by the government. And that's actually not what Peter is arguing for. Because in this Verse, verse 17, Peter is tying this whole process together. Remember, his default says, as a believer, I should be submitting to the government leaders that God has placed over me. For the Lord's sake, I am going to default to submit to them. But in verse 17, tying it all together, he says two things that are very interesting. First, he talks about honoring people. He says, honor everyone. The word honor means to show respect, to, to, to treat everyone as highly dignified and respectful, as, as to treat them as highly as you can. In other words, there is a natural respect that we should have for other human beings. The dignity of life, the right to life, the, the value of life. So I meet somebody, I don't know them, I should still treat them with dignity and with honor. I treat them with respect. Peter says treat everyone that way. Honor everyone. Treat everyone with respect. Then he says love the brotherhood. Going a little bit farther than just simply honoring the brotherhood, honoring those who are believers, we love them. We agape them. We self-sacrifice for them. So we sacrifice our needs and wants and desires for the cause of other believers. We can do that for those that are lost as well. As Galatians remind us, do good to everyone, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we show love to others, but we especially show love, agape love, to those who are part of the body of Christ. So he, first of all, compares and contrasts, honoring everyone and showing love to the brotherhood. There is a fundamental distinction there that Peter is giving to us. We're honoring all people, regardless of their color, Regardless of their geographical location, regardless of anything that has to do with anything about them, their ethnicity, anything, we honor all people. Black, white, red, brown, doesn't matter. We honor them. High officials in government, we honor them. Low people in society, we honor them. And we love the brotherhood. We sacrifice for the brotherhood. We do all that we can to show the love of Christ to the brotherhood. So on one hand, he compares and contrasts honoring everyone and loving the brotherhood. And then he's making a second point, And that is this. Fear God and honor the emperor. How do we balance all of this particular passage, verses 13 through 17, because if you're not careful, you can come out of this thinking, well, we must just be some kind of pacifist who just simply rolls over and plays dead and gets taken advantage of by every government person that could ever come our way. And we just simply say, well, we have no rights and we have no opportunity, so I guess we must just have to do whatever it is you say. Peter says, that's not actually what I'm saying. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. Peter uses a specific word here that talks about the awe and the reverence and the complete submission to God. It's the fear of God. So if Governor Whitmer stands in front of me and God stands in front of me, Peter says there's two different responses to those people. I honor Governor Whitmer, I treat her with respect, I treat her with dignity. I give her honor because of her position that she has as a governor of the state of Michigan. I honor her just like I honor every other human being. I give her respect. I give her dignity. I give her the the respect that is due to her office. But I am not to fear Governor Whitmer. I'm not to fear Donald Trump. And Peter is not talking about being afraid of them. Peter is talking about the awe and the reverence and the complete submission that is owed only to God. So balancing out 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, when he starts off by saying, be subject to every human institution. He now balances that with saying this, honor everyone and love the brotherhood. The fundamental distinction between all people and the believers, and now he compares and contrasts those in government to God. He says, "You fear God, you honor your government leaders, but you fear God." So you say, "This okay? I'm confused. Can we not say anything about the government? Can can, can we not speak up for ourselves?" Do we just have to simply do whatever it is they tell us to do? Do we have no recourse? Do we have no uh, ability to push back, if you will? So let's play this out into different scenarios because across our church, as small as we are, there's a variety of opinions on how people should handle the government. So I can imagine as we play this out on a large scale Not only just in America, but if we stretch this out over the world, we're going to have a variant of opinions and ideas on how we handle this. And remember, the Bible is not written specifically for Americans. The Bible is written for every believer, every person. And so this truth, these truths must be able to apply across the board. But let's look at this in context of how do we handle things. the question that is naturally on people's mind. Does the governor's ban on gatherings violate our First Amendment? Shouldn't we stand on the grounds of the First Amendment that says Congress shall make no law uh, imposing upon the right of churches to gather, the right of churches to congregate, the right of churches to worship? Isn't the government overstepping its bounds? Well, the answer to that is no. The government has granted us the ability to still perform services. The government has granted us the ability to still gather on some level to communicate God's truth. The government has still allowed us to communicate in such a way as is suitable so that in the meantime, we can try to have safety brought to our society if the governors had said if the governor had of michigan had said that churches cannot use any means at all to communicate the truth of god's word then that would be a different situation. If the governor had said you are not allowed to to use social media to present your church services, you're not allowed to communicate via print to your congregants anything about the truth of God's word, if the governor had said you are are to shut down all communication, all uh, presentation of the gospel, then that would be a different story. The governor has simply said we're not allowed to meet. She hasn't disallowed us to communicate God's truth, nor has she said that the Detroit Tigers can play their games with stands full of people, but churches can't gather. The First Amendment was written so that churches were not singled out to say, well, you can have public gatherings of people that are watching Detroit Lions games or Detroit Red Wings games or or, uh, any other team that uh, may be playing in the NFL or the, the NBA or the major leagues. You can have all those gatherings. You can go to movie theaters and any number that you want to, but you can't go to church. If that were the case, then we would have grounds to stand on. But as of right now, across the board, The governor has declared this is what things are to look like. And what is Peter's response to us? If Peter were here preaching this message, what would he say? Well, he already said it in verse 13. Submit. Our natural response is, well, I don't like it. Just like a child, right, who's told by his parents to go to bed at a particular time. Why? I don't like it. I don't want to go to bed. Why do I have to be in bed? There's no school going on. There's nothing happening that I need to be up for. Why are you making me have this senseless law in our home? Don't you just hate me that you're making me go to bed at this particular time? No, not really. We have reasons for why we're doing that. And what's your job as a child? Submit. What's our job as children of God to government leaders who make laws that we don't like? Submit. Is it wrong for Christians to engage in a legal, orderly expression of their opinion? Let's say, for instance, I don't know, just pulling something out of thin air, a bunch of people decide to drive to the Capitol to protest what they think. Is that wrong? No, that's not wrong. It is perfectly acceptable and perfectly legal for people to voice their opinions. Peter never once says, don't express your opinion. Peter never once says, just be a simple wallflower and let the world trample all over you. Peter never says that. Peter never says, roll over and act like you don't have a spine. So if your government system allows for that expression of free speech, then by all means, express it. By all means, communicate. Hey, you know what? Respectable and honorable governor of our state... Here is what I would like to tell you. Express it in a respectful manner. You honor them. You show dignity to them. You treat them as you would any other human being. You respectfully communicate to them, hey, listen, I don't like this law, and I would like you to reconsider. This is good truth and good practice. I know we have some kids that will maybe be watching this. When your parents tell you to do something that you don't like to do, you know how you should respond? not by stomping your feet and doing the opposite, but you graciously and respectfully come back to them and say, okay, dad, can we have a conversation about this? I'd like to express to you what I'm thinking. I'd like to express to you what I'm feeling. I'd like to express to you how this is is hindering my life. I'd like to express to you how I'm feeling in this process. Is that fine to do? Absolutely, it's fine to do. One of the things that we teach our children to do is to obey And then once they're obeying or once they've showed that they're willing to submit, then have a conversation. The time for the conversation is not at the beginning. The time for the conversation is, okay, I will obey, I will submit. And while I'm submitting to you, I do want to have a respectful conversation with you. So is it fine for us to express our views to Governor Whitmer? Absolutely it's fine. Express them with respect. Express them with dignity. Express them with all the honor that we can bestow upon somebody who holds that office. But feel free to express them in such a way that communicates a Christ-like response. God has not called us to be wallflowers. God has not called us to be doormats for the world to walk all over. So there's a balance that Christians have to find. Some Christians are pacifists who say, well, we should never say anything about the government. We should just simply do what we're told and blindly follow what they're saying. That's not the biblical response. That's not what Peter has said. On the other side, there are Christians who say, you know what? Forget the government. I'm going to do whatever I want to. I don't want to follow their rules and do what they say. And by the way, I'm a Christian and they're not, so therefore I'm justified. Peter says, dude, that's not biblical either. The response is not these extremes. But the response is in the middle to say, okay, I will be subjected to your rules. I will be submissive to your rules. And in the process, I will respectfully but firmly tell you what I think about these rules. I will communicate to you in a manner that communicates likeness." Another question that people have in the midst of our coronavirus is this. Isn't Hebrews 10:25 a justification for us to be able to meet in spite of what the governor says. Remember, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not neglecting the gathering of yourselves together and all the more as you see the day approaching. Oh, we found the loophole. Governor Whitmer is violating Hebrews 10:25. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, Governor Whitmer does not know Hebrews 10:25. I'm just very convinced that she does not know that. So don't have a conspiracy theory that says, oh, she must know Hebrews 10.25, and therefore she's making this law to impose upon us to violate Hebrews 10.25. Listen, the context of Hebrews 10.25 is this. It is you, believer, who willingly does not meet with other believers when they have the opportunity. The irony of the Hebrews 10.25 argument is this. Some of the very same believers who are pulling out the Hebrews 10.25 argument to say we should be able to meet as a church because it violates Hebrews 10.25 are the same people who have the attitude that says, well, if I make it to church, I make it to church. You are the very ones that the author of Hebrews is addressing in Hebrews 10.25. Hebrews 10.25 is not the government restricting you. It's about you willingly not showing up and gathering with the believers, And so if your attitude or your mindset has been in the past, well, if I make it a church, I make it a church. If we're there, we're there. We might make it once a month. We might make it every few times that the church is having a service. That is the context of Hebrews 10.25. The author of Hebrews is writing to believers, He's not writing to government leaders. So no, Hebrews 10.25 is not being violated by this law. Hebrews 10.25 is not coming into context. Now, when it's re- lifted and, and the restrictions are gone and we have the ability to meet and you don't show up to, to engage in the body of Christ and to, to attend to the body of Christ in a normal, routine manner of gathering, when your attitude of church is, I could take it or leave it, I don't need to be with the believers and I'll neglect gathering with them, then Hebrews 10.25 comes into play, but it's geared towards you who is willfully neglecting the gathering together of believers. So you say, wow, this is quite an interesting message on dealing with the government. Well, One final question, or maybe a couple of final questions to address is this. Does there come a point at which we say enough is enough? Does there come a point where we say we are fed up with the restrictions and we're going to meet no matter what? As you've watched the news, you've seen churches around the country who have taken this approach. You've seen a pastor in Florida, Tampa Bay, Florida area, who was arrested a few weeks ago at the end of March for holding services in spite of the government crackdown or lockdown or restrictions. You saw a pastor in Louisiana who did the same thing. You saw a church in Kentucky that had to deal with the the response of getting tickets uh, from the police. So does there come a point in time where we say, you know what, we're fed up. Enough is enough. We're meeting regardless. The answer is, it's possible. But it doesn't seem to be time right now. We watch, we wait, we pray, we plead, we offer our opinions, we speak out, we communicate what we're thinking, we communicate what we're feeling, we communicate where we're at. But as right now, it seems that the best thing to do for us is to continue to submit to our government leaders do we like it absolutely not do i like speaking to basically an empty room i mean there's some great people that are here that perform and do our worship but do i like speaking to an empty room no do we want to gather together as believers yes do we want to be able to be back together and to be able to function like we used to yes we do but what does god want us to do right now for right now we say okay We will continue to submit. We will continue to go along with what the government has said. They're not restricting our communication. They're not restricting the proclamation of the gospel. They're not restricting how we preach and teach. They're not restricting all of the normal functions of a service, the proclamation of the gospel. Does it stink? Yeah, it really does. Does it make us long to be together? Yeah, it really does. And here's what I hope believers come out of this time with. I hope believers come out of this time with a memory, permanently impressed in their mind of what it felt like not to be able to meet. And that believers will have a insatiable hunger and desire to continuously meet together. That when these restrictions are lifted, we would not simply say, well, you know, if I don't go to church today, I don't go to church but that we would remember that in a moment it could be taken away. That we remember the longing in our heart that says we want to meet together and we want to be together so that when the restrictions are lifted and we can meet back together again and we can gather back together again, that we remember how God desires us to be. So what do believers do? Well, believers by default you submit. Can you voice your opinion? Absolutely. Send Governor Whitmer a letter. Send President Trump a letter. Send your congressman a letter. Send your senators a letter. Send the mayor a letter. Send whoever you want a letter. Be gracious, be respectful, be firm. Voice your opinion. Tell them what you're thinking. Tell them how it makes you feel. Tell them why you want to meet. Tell them all of the things that are going on. Communicate to them. That's our God-given right, and under our government system, we have that ability to do it. So do it. Do it respectfully. Do it firmly. Can I tell the governor that I don't like her executive order? Yes. If Governor Whitmer were here today, if I could talk to her personally, I would say, Mrs. Whitmer, I do not like this at all. Do I think it's been an overreaction? possibly I'm not in her shoes to make her decisions, but I can communicate in a respectful manner that I don't agree with her. I can communicate in a respectful manner that I am not in agreement to what she has declared, but at the same time I will communicate to her, you know what? but by God's sake and for God's sake, I will submit to you. because God, as Romans 13 reminds us, God has specifically ordained, Gretchen Whitmer to be the governor of Michigan. If you don't believe that God has set her up to be that person, then you have a lack of understanding on the sovereignty of God. That God has allowed her to be in that role. And though we don't like it, and though we don't agree with it on some things, we honor her. And yet at the same time, we respectfully communicate our dislikes our opinions, our thoughts, and amidst all of it, we fear God. If Governor Whitmer made an executive order tomorrow that declared no church can communicate anything by social media or anything in print, no church may communicate anything about the Bible or the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that is the point at which we say, you know what, Governor? We defy your order and we will preach Christ and we will proclaim Christ regardless of what you said because we fear God and we honor you. That's the response of believers to the role of government. Do I wish that we could all just simply say, you know what, let's forget what the government says and let's do our own thing? Sure, I'd love to do that. As would all the elders, as would all the deacons, as would pretty much everybody. The fact of the matter is we're still in this condition, we're still in this situation to be able to say, you know what, our default must be to submit. What would I like to tell Governor Whitmer if I could talk to her? I would like to tell her this. Governor Whitmer, we thank you for your service to our state, we thank you for the service that you are uh, giving to the people of Michigan. We're thankful that you're willing to serve in that capacity. And for the last six weeks to seven weeks, we have respectfully and willingly abided by your executive order not to meet. But at this time, it seems that we need to have a conversation regarding the ability to meet again as churches, to be able to gather once again as believers to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we place our faith and our confidence in our holy Lord and Savior and not in man, That we believe, like Elijah on Mount Carmel, that God will show himself to be powerful. That we believe, like Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that we will see God sustain us amidst dietary constrictions against the fiery furnace and against the lion's den. That, Mrs. Whitmer, we know that you trust in science, and we know that you trust in other data points that you collect, but we trust in God and we graciously and humbly ask you to allow us to meet again. To be safe, to be smart, to use common sense, yes. But we graciously and willfully submit to your authority and at the same time request that you allow us to meet again as believers of Jesus Christ. That's what I would say to Mrs. Whitmer. But in the meantime, if she doesn't listen to me, then we submit. And at the point at which she tells me or us or any of us that we can no longer preach Christ, then we will defy. But until she does that, we submit. There's a lot of things that can be said about President Trump or Vice President Pence or Governor Whitmer or any other political leader. But as of right now, it seems that none of them are enforcing a law that says no proclamation of Jesus Christ can take place. And to that end even though we don't like it. As believers, we don't use our freedom for a cover-up for evil. We will shut up the silence. We will put to silence the foolish, ignorant people out there who despise Christ and say, you know what? To be an example of Jesus Christ, we will submit to our government leaders. It's interesting to note that during the 1918 pandemic of the Spanish flu, people may say, well, how did those people survive? They shut down churches, and they closed down their, their, their ability to preach Christ. They didn't have social media. They didn't have internet. They didn't have any of this. How did they do it? It's interesting to note that during that pandemic of 1918, local newspapers offered for free to publish every pastor's sermon. And that's how they continued to proclaim Jesus Christ. It's doubtful today that the Grand Rapids Press would be glad to print my message or any other message from a pastor. But even in the midst of times when we didn't have internet access, we didn't have Facebook Live, we didn't have YouTube, we didn't have all the means that we do today, God still had means to get his message out. God will always get his message out. And God is calling on us as believers to be faithful servants of God that he talks about here in 1 Peter chapter two, to serve him, to be a witness for him and for his sake to submit to our authority. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. May we honor our government leaders today, but may more importantly, we fear God today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word Father, give us wisdom as we navigate these waters of uncertain times and uncertain laws and and things that are going on and the frustration that we have. Father, we are all frustrated, but I pray that you'd give us wisdom, give us discernment. We pray these things in your son's name, amen.